Money FM 89.3. Best of Drive Time. Drive Time with Elliot, Timothy, and Chen Chen. Only on Money FM 89.3. Money of M89.3. Good afternoon. It is drive time. I'm Elliot Danker. It's now time for a Washington report where we take a look at some headlines from out of the United States. And on the line with me this uh, Monday afternoon is Pushan Dit, professor of economics at INSEAD. Uh, professor, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. Very good. Thank you. And thanks a lot for helping me out with this, as always. Uh, starting off uh, with the weekend news that the United States and France began evacuating its citizens and embassy staff from Sudan, where fighting between rival forces have entered its second week. In terms of troop movement, or what are the likely steps as far as the Pentagon is concerned? What are you anticipating here, Professor? So they have evacuated the diplomats, but the big thing is they still have about 16,000 Americans uh, still in place in, in Sudan. Now, my take is that the U.S. doesn't have any appetite for further military intervention. So I don't see a big move from the Pentagon. Uh, One reason is, of course, you know, the debacles in Afghanistan and Iraq, where, you know, the U.S. left in a hurry and, you know, things really didn't turn out well because terrorism isn't on the rise in Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, they saw Shias coming in. A bunch of other complicating factors, which is that the U.S. has to pay a lot more attention to Ukraine. It It has a lot on its plate dealing with China over Taiwan. Now, the U.S. is a hyperpower, but these two conflicts are potential conflicts are really complex and the stakes are far higher. So outside of the evacuation of their diplomatic staff and citizens, uh, maybe, I don't see a serious commitment by the U.S., either of military or of resources. It's also a very messy place when you look at the neighborhood, whether Mm -hmm. it's Mali, whether it's Somalia, whether it's Libya. None of these military interventions in these countries in the past have actually uh, ended well. So, And even in this conflict, you know, uh, there are refugees going into Chad, which is unstable. The Egypt is involved, even the Wagner group from Russia, which is fighting in Ukraine, is involved. So I think the sheer messiness of it will just deter the U.S. from making serious commitments. Mm. It's interesting you brought up the Ukraine factor because uh, there's been news going around a couple of days or as far as a couple of days, uh, the United States uh, to begin uh, training Ukrainian forces on uh, the U.S.-made tanks in the next month or so. It seems that there's resistance uh, as far as calls for jets are concerned. And so this is really going to occupy a lot of the Pentagon's time. Absolutely. So, you know, they're, they're actually sending tanks, not too many. Yeah. Uh, the Ukrainians are running low on ammunition. Uh, the Europeans have actually not been very good in terms of uh, arming the Ukrainians because the European military industrial complex has been in really poor shape right. since, since the fall of the Berlin Wall. So mm. the U.S. is doing most of the lift, of the heavy lifting mm. in terms of providing arms while the Europeans provide money. Now, will they provide jets or not? Well, when the, when the, the Ukraine invasion started, uh, you know, uh, it was not clear to us whether any, any of these people would intervene, any of these powers would intervene and get involved in the conflict. But over time, they have steadily escalated, first with financial sanctions, then with, uh, then with small arms, then with howitzers, uh, and now with tanks. So I don't see why they will draw the line at jets. Uh, at some point in time, they might be tempted to provide 
jets, uh, fighter jets to Ukraine. All right. Uh, Professor, let's talk about uh, a domestic U.S. issue. Uh, and this might be a bit of a complex one. Let's try and get through this. Minnesota Democratic Governor Tim Waltz expected to sign a series of bills. And the idea behind this, it would uh, enshrine the right to abortion and gender-affirming care into state law while banning so-called conversion therapy. Uh, there are a couple of issues in this, but when you consider the abortion, uh, let's call it conflict slash discussion that's been going on for months. What are some of the wider implications, Professor? And I'm also quite curious, could there be financial implications as well? You know, things like, I don't know, medical insurance payouts deemed invalid as a result of this? What are your thoughts? So, given that everything gets litigated in the U.S., Mm. (laughs) forecasting anything, especially (laughs) financial implications, is, is, I think, a fool's errand. Now, you know, just stepping back and thinking about what's going on in the U.S., so basically, this was the inevitable consequence of the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade and throwing it back to the state. Yeah. So now this battle over reproductive rights is being fought on a state-by-state basis. But this is also part of a broader cultural war, which has been ongoing for quite some time in the U.S., and this is actually creating a huge division between the different states in the, in the U.S., whether okay. this is on reproductive rights, uh, today on transgender rights, what books people can read, what can corporations say, etc. Okay. Uh, it's very ironical that Barack Obama gave a speech about 20 years ago saying there's no red America or blue America, there's just the United States of America. <laughs> but 20 years later, this divide is deepening, you know, uh, every day. You know, uh, Democrats or Republicans, they dislike members of the other party more yeah. than, let's say, the Republicans dislike Vladimir Putin. They seem to trust Putin more. Mm. Uh, so the latest uh, divisive issues over transgender issues and the Republicans are sort of weaponizing this in every election because I think on the abortion issue, the the Republicans are like the dog which bought the car, car right? They don't know what to do with it because it's not a winning election issue with them. Yeah. Now, even gen- gender conversion therapy, so the, this is a deeply complex issue that is best left to doctors and mental health mm. uh, professionals. And actually, most Americans hold the same position as Tim Pallanti, which is that, you know, provide, uh, you know, support for transgender rights, but, you know, they're still skeptical about gender uh, conversion theory. But uh, I think on, uh, uh, so I think this is actually a, quite a centrist bill or okay. slightly left of center bill okay. and uh, politically probably advantages to the Democrats. Oh, interesting. Uh, Professor, let's talk a little bit about uh, Earth Day that was this weekend uh, that just passed. And uh, U.S. President Joe Biden, in fact, last week pledging to increase funding to help developing countries fight climate change, curb deforestation, uh, especially where Brazil's Amazon rainforest is concerned. Um, I'm curious, you know, and especially going into next year, which is a presidential election year, 2024. How firstly, how far apart is the Senate in terms of the issue of climate change and do Americans share the same sentiment? Do they care enough about climate change? Well, the Senate is where most bills go to die in the United States. <laughs> so uh, so they, they've been actually been working on, on climate change since 1988. Okay. okay so in, in 1988, NASA scientists warned that global warming was real. Yeah. And, but because of the filibuster, which is this arcane aspect of the Senate, 
any attempts to address climate change has failed, whether creating mm-hmm. carbon taxes, you know, enshrining the Paris Climate Accord, the Kyoto Protocol, they always get bogged down. Okay. Now, if you ask economists how to deal with this issue, they will say, do a carbon tax, okay? Make people pay for the pollution that they're creating. But the big problem is that people don't like taxes, especially mm-hmm. in, in America. So any legislation which has tried to tackle this problem through carbon taxes, permits, etc., simply lacks political support. Mm-hmm. Now, what has happened, what is really different, will Biden's climate plan bill, which is called the Inflation Reduction Act, passed last year. Now, how was that different? So instead of tackling the demand side by putting a price on carbon, they said, okay, let's do the following. Let's give tax cuts. Let's give subsidies. Let's give incentives to create alternate technologies, which is politically a lot more palatable. So they gave huge incentives to next generation technologies. And now there's actually a race within the private sector to take advantage. And uh, from the initial uh, statistics are actually quite promising. Uh, Ironically, a lot of these investments are going in Republican states like Tennessee, Georgia. Okay. Mm -hmm. So over long term, something also strange might happen is that it restores the manufacturing base in these southern states, improves the standards of living of the middle class, and maybe they, these people, the, 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 the Republican base will again switch back to the Democrats because they used to be Democratic voters in the 1960s. So, so there are lots of interesting things which, are, which can be related to this, this, this climate change, climate bill and, and the push in yeah. the Senate. I'm glad you've explained it so well, uh, Professor. It really helps because uh, especially the part you talked about how uh, tax incentives uh, is a political thing. Safe to say then this issue could be quite a prominent one heading into those 2024 elections. So uh, just we have to keep in mind the lags that are involved. So okay. these investments okay. go in, they, they create jobs, etc. That's almost like this is going to take about a decade. Wow. Okay? A, a, okay, a good analogy is to think about Obamacare, right? So mm. there was there was massive political mm. opposition to it. Like 10, 15 years later, there's massive political support for it. Mm. Like it's it's become like the third rail of politics. Not even the Republicans want to get rid of health insurance for the vast majority. So it also I don't uh, think anything will happen in the next elections, but like two three elections down the road. I think this has the ability to switch uh, and shift political affiliations. All right. Uh, Professor, just a final issue, and uh, we'll take this in, uh, on a lighter side. Uh, Twitter and the blue ticks that <laughs> were reinstated uh, over the weekend. Some high-profile accounts got it. Uh, it was really protested just a couple of days before that. I mean, I know this is uh, just a form of validation, right? And But I really want to talk about this uh, from the point of view of, you know, the, the social, social issues, you know, the societal issues that it could potentially bring up and the potential for this to turn off politicians from using Twitter in 2024? So, uh, I mean, the, the classic example of this is that Elon Musk allowed Donald Trump back on yeah, Twitter and, yeah. tr- and Trump refused. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so whatever Musk is doing on Twitter is obviously not not working, right? Yeah. So he's ba- he's basically turned this into a complete circus, right? He got the 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 blue ticks were about verifying that these were true accounts, right? These were reliable accounts. He's trying to monetize it, right? Yeah. But uh, it's not uh, it's not succeeding because as soon as it started, lots of scams started. You know, dead yes. celebrities suddenly yes. got blue checks, like Kobe Bryant got one. Yeah. Uh, the Black Panther got one, yeah. uh, so so it led to impersonations, etc. So so it's actually quite shocking what uh, Elon Musk has done with Twitter. The man is a genius; he's yeah. a visionary in many respects. 
Yeah. Uh, he should be focusing on his truly innovative companies like Tesla, SpaceX, mm. etc. But he seems to be, you know, just turned into a massive troll on the internet. Uh, and uh, in, in, in a sense, it's actually making the world a worse place, oh, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Twitter was supposed to be the town square where we all sort of talk to each other. Politicians were there. Uh, the public was there. But now, uh, you know, he... He seems to be he seems to be actually destroying Twitter yeah. in my opinion. So the yeah. uh, Musk is uh, Musk is you know there's a Silicon Valley motto that you know move fast and break things. Well, mm. he has moved fast and he's broken <laughs> nearly everything. <laughs> I feel like we could have told him, hey, you got 44 billion to spend, just give it to <laughs> Professor Pushan and myself, lah, can I? <laughs> Well, I do appreciate your time today. Uh, I've been speaking with uh, Pushan Jit, who is Professor of Economics at INSEAD. Uh, Prof, thank you again. Take care and have a great Monday evening. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.